0: You're listening to Speak Lord, I'm Ryan Rogers. 2 Chronicles chapter 2 details Solomon's preparation to build the temple. In chapter 3, the building begins and it continues on until the dedication of the temple in chapter 7. I'm going to read chapter 3, the whole chapter, and I invite you to listen for the incredibly high standard of quality. The elaborateness of the effort, the detail of the design, the intentionality and excellence given to this service for God. Second Chronicles chapter 3 Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed, on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He began to build in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. These are Solomon's measurements for the building of the house of God. The length in cubits of the old standard was 60 cubits, and the breadth 20 cubits. The vestibule in the front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits long, equal to the width of the house, and its height was 120 cubits. He overlaid it on the inside with pure gold. The nave he lined with cypress and covered it with fine gold and made palms and chains on it. He adorned the house with settings of precious stones. The gold was gold of parvaeum. He lined the house with gold. Its beams, its thresholds, its walls, its doors, he carved cherubim in the walls. And he made the most holy place. Its length, corresponding to the breadth of the house, was twenty cubits. And its breadth was 20 cubits. He overlaid it with 600 talents of gold. The weight of gold for the nails was 50 shekels. He overlaid the upper chamber with gold. In the most holy place, he made two cherubim of wood and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim together extended 20 cubits. One wing of the one of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and its other wing of five cubits touched the wing of of the other cherub and of this cherub one wing of 5 cubits touched the wall of the house and the other wing also 5 cubits was joined to the wing of the first cherub the wings of these cherubim extended 20 cubits the cherubim stood on their feet facing the nave and he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson fabric and fine linen and he worked cherubim on it in front of the house he made two pillars 35 cubits high with a capital of five cubits on the notch of each. He made chains like a necklace and put them on the tops of the pillars, and he made a hundred pomegranates and put them on the chains. He set up the pillars in front of the temple, one on the south and the other on the north. That on the south he called Jochen, and that on the north, Boaz. That's quite the chapter. They gave their best in the service of God. When I read it, I have some questions, like, why 100 pomegranates? Wouldn't 10 be enough? Did they really need to use gold nails? Isn't the whole thing a bit excessive? This temple was over the top in excellence as an affirmation that God is worthy of the best, and I like that idea. I want to pursue excellence in my service of God. And I'm highly motivated by the biblical call to do whatever you do for the glory of God. Still, I find myself pushing back when I consider the standard of the temple. Did they really need 100 pomegranates? One of the places where I push back is that it's just not my personality to be that fancy. I've never flown first class. I like simple. I'm frugal. But when these thoughts come into my mind as a reason why I shouldn't aim for excellence, there's this other voice of reason. And it tells me that within my own personality and within my own budget, God is still calling me to serve him with excellence. Maybe I'm not the one to carve 100 pomegranates. But there is a role that I play in the service of God that I can do with excellence. I also find myself pushing back. Because the whole thing is just so much. I'm very aware that I can't do it all. And the things I do, I can't do perfectly. But then there's that voice of reason again. And it tells me that God knows I can't do everything. And God knows how much time I have, how much skill, how much energy he's given me. And if I don't have the resources to do what God has called me to do in a way that honors him with a high standard of excellence, then maybe I'm doing too much. It's not his fault. He didn't make a mistake in giving me too few resources. It's just that maybe I'm using the resources he's given me to do a whole lot of things that he never called me to do. I also push back because I have my own struggles with perfectionism and in a way that doesn't honor God. It's more about me. And I've had to learn this idea that perfect is Is the enemy of good, and that it can keep me from acting. And just when I think that this might be a good reason not to aim high, I hear that voice of reason again. And it says that God is not calling me to some stuffy perfectionism. He welcomes my efforts even when they fail. He's calling us to give Him our best. And my best might not be 100 pomegranates or golden nails, but whatever my best is, I can always give that, and when I think a bit longer about why I push back against such a high standard of excellence, I find one of the reasons to be that I don't find my calling to be quite as important as what Solomon did with the temple. Well, sure, he overlaid everything with gold, but that was the temple of God. I'm not doing that. And Solomon did respond to a huge calling. There was actually some really high pressure for Solomon to do this job and do it with excellence. So if you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, Solomon's dad sets the expectation really high. This is King David. And he says, And you, Solomon my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. And with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. There was some pressure there. And that chapter continues with David outlining the details and the standard, the measurements, and the weights. He told Solomon that the forks were to be of pure gold, and the basins, and the cups, and the bowls. Verse 19 says, All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. And then David says to Solomon, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord God Even God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. There was some high pressure here. The temple had to be perfect. And I'm probably right in thinking that I will never do anything as notable or expensive, but to say that what God has called me to do is not as important is to question the will of God. I can trust that the task God has given me is the right one for me and that the way I do it matters. We're probably never going to build temple furnishings overlaid with gold, but God values just as much the parenting that's overlaid with patient, selfless love. We're not going to be carving the impressions of cherubim on walls, but we make impressions and we can make impressions on the people around us that demonstrate a glorious, beautiful, worthy God. I'm probably never going to erect pillars of Cyprus, but I can be diligent to set up pillars of godly virtues that support all my actions. The details of the calling will change, but the God who gives the calling never changes. The God who called Solomon to build a temple is the same God who's given us our calling. It's not about how important we feel the task is. It's about how worthy God is. David called Solomon to a high standard, and then he said, God is with you. The ability to do it comes from him. And the way we do it reflects back on him. I'm thinking of this standard of excellence for Jesus as five-star service. So every company wants that five-star review. And when you receive great customer service, you're just a little more inclined to judge the whole company in a positive light. And the opposite is true. When you receive poor service just from one encounter with one representative of the company, or just one experience, you're more inclined to think of the whole company in a negative way. The way we are served by one employee shapes the way we see the whole business. Having seen a glimpse of the glory of God, I believe that God deserves a 5 star review. And the crazy thought is that the way I serve actually influences people's view of God. How would the world rate God based on the way you serve? None of us are a King Solomon. None of us are being called to build the temple of God. We're probably never going to use golden nails, but you've been called. You've been called by God to a certain task. And the standard of excellence with which we engage in that task will influence how people around us estimate the value of our God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's give God five-star service. Let's give him our very best. No matter what God has called you to, do that thing in a way that displays to the world the worth of the God who has called you. And now hear these words that David spoke to Solomon as God's call to you. Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. How is God speaking to you? Speak Lord, your servant is listening. You can find more of Speak Lord at PastorRyanRogers.com or you can search for Speak Lord wherever you get podcasts.